Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Welcoming gardening friends on this lovely rainy day. We've got Jill Flores on the phones this morning and John Glidden standing by. You can call us and the lines are open 94841927. And you can email us to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Dynamic duo Chris Bartlett and Mark Colton kick the morning off in style as they always do and uh, big cheers to Jim Crinan as well for his cycling segment and Jim will return at 10am this morning with the classic 70s. A uh, bit of duality about Jim really. Fayakara, good morning. Good morning Ray. We have made it, we're here. <laughs> did you get bombarded by a shower of rain on I the way I certainly this did, I certainly did even as I was getting out of the car, big drops falling on my head, that's fine And um, oh, There's a song about that Raindrops, <laughs> yeah so uh, no, it, it, I really drove into some uh, serious weather, around about 7.30 we really came down and then I saw a rainbow, made it all worthwhile. Oh lovely yes. I'd like to give a big shout out to Bev this morning, I hope <laughs> she's tucked up in bed for the I next bet. two hours with a cup of tea and uh, enjoying her quarantine. Yes, well, I believe uh, she's also very keen on the Olympics, so I'm not sure if they're Ooh. on at this time of the day. Well, it's that's a tough race. Gardening I know, or I think Olympics. an ear there and an eye over there. That's how I envision uh, Bev. But yes, uh, I know she'll be listening to us one way or another. And so, yes, for the next few weeks, we um, have a couple of fill ins uh, whilst Bev finishes her little isolation. Yes. yes. Well, that's. I'm sure it was all worthwhile after her trip she to Queensland. She says it was. She says it mm. was. Okay, so there's so much going on out there and uh, we're very grateful to be in WA, aren't we? We sure are. And we've got a great show lined up today, Ray. Well, we've tell me all about it. Tell us all about it. special guests. And, well, what's timely or topical at the moment with all these winter rains mm. that we've had I know and what you're the, going to say. the odd burst of sunshine you mm. can't Guess take what? your mm. eye off the weeds in the garden no. but before you start pulling them all out I would urge you to go around and just get up co- close and personal with them and try and work out what weeds you've got and have a little look about what they might be doing growing where they are sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be a big patch in a new garden. You've you've used fantastic soil. Mm. There's bare patches, and boom, all that goodness goes to the weed bank mm. or the weed seed burden in that bed. Mm. So, what what can you do? You can grow some living mulch, ground covers, or small shrubs that cover the ground and stop that. They smother them a bit. You can put down newspaper and mulch about. Eight sheets of newspaper wetted down well and mulch on top of that. It certainly makes any new weeds easier to pull out. Mm. And maybe spend a bit of time between the showers tackling 
a bed at a time. Otherwise, it can get overwhelming. But yeah. they will all yeah, burst you. as soon mm. as the sun comes. You mm. take your eye off the ball this week, they will be twice the size next week. I actually had one of the wild oats in my rose bed up mm. at waist high, mm. setting its first seeds. Mm -hmm. So I managed to get two hours in that bed, tidying it up and trimming up some of the roses before training. Time well spent, mm. I would say, too. And... On that note, we will be speaking to Kate Wall, who is the author of Working With Weeds, mm. and we have a book giveaway. Yes. As well, we will be speaking to Wayne Prangnell, mm. and he is the Southwest Coordinator of the Rare Fruit Club. Mm -hmm. So he'll talk about some of the fruits that you won't see in the grocery stores, but ones that are easy to grow at home. That's what I like to hear. Mm. And I like things that are different. Oh, and old-fashioned too. Yeah. You know, you don't really see locusts in the supermarket. No, not these days. They don't transport well. And figs either. I know you do mm. see them there, but they, they don't last long when they're picked mm. uh, and transported. So best eaten straight from the tree. And what, <laughs> what about mulberries? Quite right. Oh. It's definitely straight from the tree. Oh, yeah. so. doesn't get better than that, does All it? All right. Well, let's head to Kelmscott. First call this morning is with Glenda. Good morning. Oh, it's Brenda, actually. Oh, good morning, Brenda. <laughs> good morning. Um, I'm, I'm funning up about roses. I am trying to prove my vast number of roses in between the showers. Mm. And I happened to look it up on pruning, and it says um, to spray them straight away after pruning with lime sulphur. I didn't know that. Is that true? A lot of people would say yes, and that has been uh, a common practice for many, many years. Yeah. However, Glenda, I personally don't. I use very little sprays on my roses, as you probably know. And um, lime sulphur is a fungicide, so it will help um, reduce any fungal outbreaks. But, you know, Patsy Durack up at the Rose Garden, I'm not sure that they actually spray their roses do you know Ray? I don't know off the top of no, my head my, you see my understanding her. was that when they're pruned mm. each and every single leaf is picked up off the ground and removed so this way you're you're creating a, a practice of hygiene you're maintaining good hygiene because yeah, fallen leaves can have the the mold spores on them which transfer very easily they're splashed around so removing all the leaves, you often won't have a problem. The, the plants will overcome it. So it's up to you whether you do spray them or not. And I think with lime sulphur too, it does affect the, the life in the soil that it's being sprayed upon. This, this oh, all our little true. goodies underneath. Mm. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, you know, there's, <laughs> there's two sides to it, Brenda. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you well, think? I've had success with my 30-odd roses, so I think well, I'll bother them. <laughs> so you haven't sprayed lime sulphur before? No, no. no. I've got plenty of uh, containers that say sulphur, but none of them say lime sulphur. And I just didn't know that it was done. It was just I thought, I'll just have another check on roses and pruning. But I've got so many. I've got about 21 Patio roses all down the side of the garden. Well, you Lovely. see, you know, practices have changed over the years. True. Yeah, you know, and, and one was a very old folder that I happened to look in when I went to one of the uh, government um, exhibitions mm. and where they had all these leaflets. 
Yeah. And I just happened to read it. I thought, well, I've never read that before, lime sulphur. Well, certainly some of our special guests on the show that have talked about soil biology and compost, uh, they they encourage good life in the soil. Uh-huh. One of our guests, yeah, well, Catherine Hubble, talked about the lactobacillus serum, which is uh, a booster for soil organisms. And if you've got healthy plants, they will overcome a lot of disease. Right, yeah. And I do my own composting anyway. I've got three bins. Mm, see, you see, that's, like Ray said, another reason why you wouldn't spray um, a lime sulphur in that area because it can harm the good biology that you've built up. Oh, right. Okay. Thank you very much. All Brenda, right. can I ask you a question? Did you have any chili thrip issues on your roses this year? Did I have any what? Chili thrip issues. No. Okay. What's that? <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> well, see, a lot of people around Perth experienced uh, leaf damage, uh, dying back, blackened stems yeah. and a lot of people remove some of their roses if not all of them because mm. of the trouble with this pest um, oh, no, no I haven't got any of that uh, they've been very helpful the only thing is the, the ones the eight ones in the front are about 20 25 years old now yeah. and they're looking a little bit um, how can I say very uh, thorny and old yeah. and I'm wondering whether to replace them. Well, year. you know what? I, I contacted Rob from Melville's Rose Garden. Uh, I'm hoping to get him on the show even for a phone interview in the next couple of weeks. And that is something that we we could talk about because I know Rob and Katie will say that once you've got a rose, you can have it for a lifetime. And it oh. may be a case, Brenda, of taking out, if it hasn't been done before, some of the really old, gnarly, gnarly big canes yeah. um, that go down to the base. By doing that, you can reinvigorate that rose bush. So don't do anything rash just yet. Just hold off. Right. And it, it may be a case of you may have to get a professional in to do that if it's a big job uh, yeah. for you. Sometimes we, we need to enlist the help of professionals who know what they're doing. They've got excellent pruning tools and sometimes air pruners and they're very experienced and very quick. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, because some of them have got really thick and very extremely thorny. Yeah. You know, the main, really big, lump, big, wide ones, but they're extra thorny. I thought, well, are they going back to brambles or something, you know? But that's on the big ones. As I say, they're about 25 years old, but I've cut them down, really down. And then the next year... They all come up beautiful, so I think, oh, no, I haven't got... Well, they do, but sometimes you need to not just cut them back, but cut them out so that the the base is renewing, Uh renewing the rose. Right. Thank Mm. you very much. Okay. Thanks, Brenda. Cheers, Brenda. Well, that was a long chat, wasn't it? We covered covered a a lot in that. I did want to tackle rose pruning and, and that had a couple of different aspects to it so that's great mm. thank you brenda mm. okay and we do have free lines nine four eight four one nine two seven now i imagine you've got a few emails that we can we've really only got one from. ray oh okay yes it's been a quiet week on the email front so i don't know what all of our listeners have been up to this is from lena she listens to the program on saturday mornings but hasn't been able to phone in she lives in Ocean Reef and three years ago planted Dodoneas and they keep dying. 
she wonders what could be the problem. Well, the Dodonias are often known also as native hops mm. or sticky hop bush, and they're, they're evergreen. This is a Dodonia purpura, she writes. So it's got a, a burgundy leaf. Now, they like an acid to neutral soil. And Lena, this could be the problem, problem because in Ocean Reef, you've you're probably built on limestone and the soil is quite alkaline. So for that reason, mm. you're probably going to struggle. They do like a, a dry or moist soil, good drainage, but they can tolerate drought. They also do not like shade. So mm. a couple of things to look out for there. But it's, it's not... Uh, ideal to grow acid-liking plants in an alkaline soil, and that's typically what ocean reef is like. Mm. So I agree. Different, different choice of plant. I think that I solution. will give away our seventy-five-dollar gift voucher. Excellent idea. Sooner than later, as well. So this is from Kerry up at Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Big shout out to Kerry. Uh, the gift voucher is for $75. You must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. And she's got a new selection of bulbs and canes um, that have arrived, including raspberries and boysenberries and redcurrant, elderberry, gooseberry, rhubarb, asparagus. And she's got bearded iris, gladiolo, liliums and lily of the valley. And blossoms are starting to emerge on some fruit trees as well. Here's your easy peasy question. This is for those of you who are not able to Google. Which fruit has seeds on the outside? Which fruit <laughs> has its seeds on the outside? Give Jill a call now on 94841927. If you'd like to win $75 gift voucher, and you can certainly buy something very, very nice for yourself with that up at Bigger Trees. And uh, it'll be in the mail to you next week. Hop to that. Okay. Excellent. And did you know, Ray, tomorrow, the 1st of, of August, August yeah. is only one month to spring. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing, it, isn't it? Like it we, goes we're very past fast. the middle of winter. It goes very fast, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And I have to say, we are all a bit soggy uh, with this, with this oh. weather at the moment. It's been... Quite relentless, even I have to say that. I do like my cooler temperatures, but it has been difficult. difficult. I'm loving it. Eh? I'm loving it. Depends if you have to be out in it or not. I've got a puppy and it's hard to get her in and out and all those sorts of things. But, oh, yeah. you know, you try and dash out and do something in the garden and then run in and what have you. So it's a bit of a juggling act. But uh, the, it's the wind that I'm not uh, wrapped in. That's quite damaging. Yeah, with our plants well, and has done some damage. areas, I, I must really admit, you know, it. we've received a lot of alerts <laughs> about bad weather. Yeah. And we've escaped. We have a lot of little branches down. Yeah. Uh, but nothing big and nothing like some areas have got. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I know there was one time in, during this week, we, I know we lost power one evening for a few hours, you know, and it's just, it just is. It is what it is. Not complaining. I think we should all be very, very grateful. Uh, now, we do have a winner of our little competition, so that woke people up. And just waiting for the details, uh, Jill's obviously still going through those calls. Uh, but, uh, yes, our question was, which fruit has its seeds on the outside? And the answer was, of course, strawberry. We'll announce the winner's details if they are happy to do so. Oh, here it is. It's coming up. Gail. Gay. Gay. Williton. 
I don't know whether her surname's Williton or she's in Williton. No, she's gay. <laughs> she would be gay from Williton. From Williton. Okay, so uh, congratulations, Gay, and that will be in the mail to you uh, early next week. And also we're going to give away a book today. Uh, all about weeds and I think that will be a fascinating interview we'll be going to that in just a moment as soon as uh, Paul Jill out there is uh, got her little fingers free to to dial out to Kate and it'll be interesting to see why Kate actually brings weeds and plants them in her own garden I know well I I have done that or I would do that with stinging nettle because mm. that's one of my favorite weeds yeah for sure it can it can take over a little Oh. It can. It self sows. It, it it moves around. But it's it's an easy one to pull out, and the butterflies but not love with it. Your bare and hands. It's, but it's edible. Yeah, I know so it's edible. You don't have to worry about it getting weedy because you just harvest it. I, I've but I've actually even seen my my poor papa brush past it and jump back and jump <laughs> well, my, back. And I my think, oh, grandchildren can't, I can't do the that. same. Yeah, I can't have that. All right, nine four eight four one nine two seven. We're back in a moment. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Lex Talk Gardening. Uh, shortly we'll be crossing to Kate Wall, who is the consulting gardener, environmental scientist based in Brisbane and author of Working with Weeds. We'll be speaking to her shortly. In the meantime, we're in Como saying good day to Gillian. Good morning. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Look, I just wanted to remark about that decimation of our roses that happened last year. Yes. Yeah. I researched it, and what happened is I, I remember that there was a very, very strong wind coming from the northwest, and mm. it, it was very, very strong, and it had an odour to it. Oh. And what happened, is when, I, when I researched and went through all the things, it was 1080. Someone had been spraying on a farm or somewhere with 1080, and that had carried those strong winds for two days had carried that 1080 over all of, some, not all of Perth, but in the direction of where it came because my roses had the same problem. Um, they just suddenly, they were flush with flowers and absolutely beautiful and then started just, just being destroyed. But they had Perth back and as a result of that, after that, the thrip came in. Mm. And doing so and when, when was that, Gillian, that you... That was, that's when we had that, when the roses all suddenly started dying, you know, when they were fine and then all of a sudden everyone was complaining what was wrong with their roses. But when yeah. when do you think that started? I could, I could look in my diary in the public right. DR for you, but it was when that, when that it was it pretty well started straight away after that because I, I thought this is not right, it's not an, an insect. It's definitely not an insect because it, it was just universally all over okay. everybody's. Well, yeah, they're... They have identified, the Ag Department have identified it and their reports of it dating back some years. So last year was a season where they they bred up. Uh, it was ideal for them. We had a long, hot summer and there was evidence of chilli thrips on many roses around Perth. I know there was chilli thrip, but before the chilli thrip, got so advanced there was also the 1080 because long before the chili fruit came because i had the chili fruit appear but long before that the roses were struggling from so that so we i'm not aware of that are you fine no, no i haven't not heard aware it of that. before mm. Mm. so that's something Very we, we haven't heard about jillian 1080 is, is, is the season when they spray the 1080 on on the farm yeah we had these very, very strong winds for two years. 
to two two days, sorry. And was it reported somewhere, Gillian? Was there anywhere that we could go to find out about it? Well, I, I look at I look in my diary, but um, it definitely 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 was coming. I would say because I used to live on a farm, right? Yes. Yeah. And I know that at that time of the year they spray with ten eighty for weeds and stuff and rubbish, mm-hmm. right? And it was my roses were fine. Mm-hmm. Within two days, they were struggling. Okay, well, can I suggest uh, if you've got any of that information, dates and and link to any correspondence or articles, that you send that through to John and he can follow that up for us? Okay, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm definitely certain because my Mm. dad used to write and I know exactly what 1080 does. Yeah. All right, thanks for that, Gillian. um, Where do I have to contact you? If you can send an email to gardening. And I'm going to the glasses because I'm not a young lady. <laughs> All right. What I'll do, Gillian, is I'll put you back to Jill and she'll give you the, the contact details. Okay. Thank you. He'll just live around the corner. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, she just put a thumbs up. <laughs> okay, one moment. All right. And she's just finishing a notice on our Screen, Alan from Bassentine wanted to know whether you have recommendations for a small deciduous tree for a north-facing yard. We will come back to you on that, Alan, because we do have Kate Wall online. Kate, you're with Ray and Faye. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're great. How are you? Excellent. (laughs) It's certainly weed season over here, Kate, so we're looking forward to all your tips on how to uh, think differently about our weeds. Brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) Um, so how long have you been on this journey of loving weeds? Well, it's been a few years now. Um, I've loved weeds since I was a kid. I was brought up eating weeds. So uh-huh. for me, there was just a completely different attitude to weeds early on. But even still, that was just a couple of weeds that we ate as kids. So coming into adulthood and turning to professional gardening and seeing the behaviour of other people around weeds really got me thinking Mm, for sure because a lot of people oh if there's anything that's little and green out of place they would reach for the poisons that's exactly right which is just frightening really when you think of what that's doing to the environment Mm. so what what are your favorite weeds oh too many (laughs) i love so many weeds at the moment being winter chickweed is flourishing and i'm loving eating that but south thistles and green amaranth went into dinner last night. Wow. I, um, you know, I have been working with mallows and plantain, nettles. There's so many wonderful weeds out there that offer so much to us from a health point of view. But then there's those others that are just beautiful. And I'll always have a soft spot for billy goat weed because as a child, it was the only flower that I had the opportunity to pick and put in a vase. What is billy goat weed? I love this. Now, this is where we really find the um, the common names. It's an adjuratum, so oh, it was introduced yes. as an ornamental, um, and definitely there are different common names around the country and around the world, which is why it's so important. And in my book, I do reference everything with the correct scientific name. Okay, yep. What, so what is the scientific name of billy goat weed? It is. Now, bear with me for just one second because I don't oh, have... I've, that's all right. I've got it here. To memory. It is Adjuratum, adjuratum conizoides. Yep. 
that's the one. Yes. Oh, isn't that? And that does look pretty. So I wouldn't consider that a weed. Look, and that depends where you are. Over here on the east coast, it is a huge weed. You'll see paddocks full of it. But it's often an indicator of an overgrazed paddock. Overgrazed, so overgrazed, yes. So the so animals depleted soils. Okay, and that's another interesting fact because on on our running sheet this week, I wrote down that you would teach us how to read the weeds, mm. and by that I meant what weeds can tell us about their environment. Yes. That is exactly what I want people to do. Before you go and pull out a weed or attack it in any way, shape or form, learn something from it. Okay. There's a reason why that weed is there. Yeah. And, you know, people often say to me, oh, do you believe that a weed is just a plant growing in the wrong place? Now, my reply to that is, no, I don't. A weed is a plant growing in exactly the right place, the right place for that weed but the wrong place for that gardener. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where that lesson starts, is this plant, call it a weed, call it what you like, but it has grown in a situation that suits it perfectly. And as gardeners, what we are trying to do is grow plants where we want them to grow and then thinking about the conditions those plants actually require to grow well becomes secondary. So by looking at the weeds and saying, okay, this is growing well here. What does that tell me about those conditions here in my garden? Oftentimes, a lot of the weeds are growing in depleted soil. So most often, the weeds we don't want are ones that tell us about our gardening conditions. Mm. So, for example, I've seen a lot of the yellow flowering soursop around. What does that tell us about the soil or where it's growing? Okay, now that's a lovely one. I do really like that weed. I have that one, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, isn't it? <laughs> we don't have a lot of the yellow one in Brisbane. The pink one's a lot more common for us here, uh-huh. so I consider myself very lucky that I actually have both in my garden. <laughs> because um, you probably brought that home from someone else's place, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Look, that one can be an indicator of compacted soils. Okay. Um, the soursops do like the... Um, compacted soils, um, but they can also be indicators of different mineral conditions. But I, I always stress a little bit of caution when reading mineral conditions with weeds because often you'll find, unless you have one weed that is overly dominant, you're looking at a mixture of mineral deficiencies rather than just one. So the oxalis group is particularly good at extracting copper in areas where and growing where there's high copper but that doesn't necessarily mean it will grow um, badly where there's not as much copper so what I do tell people is where you have a lot of weed problems generally you will have mineral deficiencies but if you use a very general broad spectrum rock mineral instead of trying to treat specific mineral deficiencies you're more likely to get a broad spectrum fix That's interesting. I like that. Now, does soursop improve the soil in any way? Although I guess if it's compacted, then by turning that over and putting the leaf matter back into the soil, you're improving the soil? Except for the fact that by doing that, you're spreading the bulblets. Okay. Yeah. So you can actually mm. 
spread it by digging. So it's not one that we dig. We try and avoid digging that one at all. Unless, of course, you wish to eat it because um, the tubers are edible. But um, no, that's one that you are better off just composting. So compost over the top of it to improve your soil. But keep in mind that the most significant way of improving soil is by having active root growth in the soil. So anything that's growing strongly is exuding carbon into the soil and feeding soil life. So having living roots is really important in creating healthy soil. Hmm. Okay. So people should just um, acknowledge that and if it is growing between plants and they don't want it, what what would you suggest as a longer term Pull the thing? tops off. Pull the tops so off. Regularly pull the tops off. No plant can survive if it can never photosynthesize. Mm. So the more you pull the tops off, the more you'll weaken it. Now, any sort of bulb will be at its weakest point as it starts to flower. So it's used up all the energy that it stored in the bulb last year. It's put all that energy into developing flowers and it hasn't yet stored the energy for next year. So if you pull tops off at that point and regularly keep the tops off, you'll exhaust the bulb faster. Hmm. So an easy way of doing that would be to grab a, a hoe, a Dutch hoe, and going round when the plant's about to flower and just taking the tops off. Yes, yeah, so long as you're careful not to dig the bulb and spread the bulblets. Yep. Mm, okay. Yep, and that works really nicely if you're eating it. You know, just go and harvest it. So what do you do with the tubers? Um, you can roast them. So you wow. can eat them roasted or you can just eat them raw. They've got a bit of a lemony sort of flavour. <laughs> so they're quite nice. I personally just like eating the tops because it's a lot easier than digging up tiny little tubers. Mm. Um, and I go for easy all the time. But eating the tops, you've, these flowers are beautiful to put in salads. They're lovely to put on cakes. So they're a fabulously pretty flower to eat. But they have a lovely lemony flavour to them. And in my book, I do actually have a recipe for making lemonade with it. Oh, okay. my goodness. heating, so you're not denaturing the high vitamin C content of it. And so how beneficial is eating weeds, Kate, for our listeners? remarkably beneficial mm. remarkably now when we think about um, the food that we eat today and the vegetables that we eat there's two different factors that come into play one is that the quality of the nutrition in that vegetable is going to be dependent on the quality of the soil it's grown in so often we can be growing very nutrition nutrition deficient vegetables by growing them in poor soil the other thing is over the generations, they've been bred to be sweet. And as we improve the flavour and the sweetness, we lose some of the other richer, deeper flavours which contain a lot of the nutrition. Weeds have never been bred to taste good or to need um, important conditions to grow. They can grow in terrible places, the worst soil, and still extract very high amounts of minerals and provide us with very high levels of nutrition. So this is where they don't taste as sweet in most cases. So oftentimes we do need to adjust our palate a little bit, but it's we're getting that full component of nutrition because they have not been bred to be palatable. Mm. So at this time, another weed that a lot of people dislike is the bindi coming up in, mm. in lawns. What can you tell us about that one? 
That one all comes down to lawn management. Bindi is often associated with a magnesium deficiency and with mowing too short. Mm-hmm. Often when you have weeds in lawns, it's an indicator that you have been mowing too short. The grass is stressed and you're creating bare patches. Bare patches will be filled by weeds. Now this applies to a lawn or a garden. If you leave a bare patch, something's going to grow in it. Mm. You choose what's going to grow in that or nature will choose. If you leave it up to nature, it probably won't be something you want in that patch. So the best alternative for a bindies or in a lawn or weeds in any spot is to grow a nice thick lawn. Care for your lawn a little better so that you're not stressing the lawn and you don't have bare patches. There's nowhere then for these seeds to germinate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, point. once you've got the bindies there and mm. they're flowering and seeding, then you have the issue. They're annuals. You need to get rid of those seeds ready so that they don't come up again next year. And that can actually be a lot of fun. Just get a pair of... <laughs> We're all ears. <laughs> get a pair of old thongs and walk backwards oh, and forwards or an old yoga mat and get the kids to roll over it. All the seeds stick into it. That can then go into the bin and you've just removed a huge load of seed well, you, out of that patch of soil. You could have hours more fun getting putting on gloves and pulling all the prickles out of the yoga mat. <laughs> oh, dear. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so lawn again. What about clover? Well, now this is an interesting one because this brings us a full circle around to plants that are wanted in one place and not elsewhere. You can buy clover from permaculture groups and seed suppliers all over the country because it is a really valuable, beneficial plant. But in lawns, lawn aficionados tend not to like it. It tends to be a winter annual. Again, it seeds. So it is trying to control those seeds. If you keep mowing it so that it can't flower and it can't seed, you will break that cycle. But again, you want to keep a strong, healthy lawn so there's no way for the clover to germinate and come up through it. But clover is also a legume. So it can be very beneficial to the lawn to have it there. It's certainly very beneficial to the bees to let it flower. But it can be an indicator that your lawn could do with a little bit of gentle feeding. Mm. Now, it's high, um, is it high, it's high in nitrogen? Yes. Or? Yes, because it's so a legume. legume. All yeah. fixed nitrogen. Yes, so yes. While you have the legume growing, mm. it will be um, improving the nitrogen. When you mow it and compost it, it's also returning that high nitrogen. Mm. But when legumes are actively growing, they're also exuding phosphates into the soil. So you're improving the soil phosphates as well by letting it grow. They don't do anything to improve soil phosphorus levels when they're dead and when they're composted. But while they're actively growing, they are improving the fertility of the soil. Oh, so much to learn, so much to think about. So how many weeds would be covered in your book, Kate? Look, the the book mentions um, around about 150 different weeds, but I've profiled 40-odd weeds in more depth. Um, Mm -hmm. It does include recipes on how to use them, how to read them. But a lot of what it is is you can't profile every weed. You can't mention every weed. So a lot of what I have done is try and put characteristics forward so that you can start recognising characteristics of weeds like we talked about 
before with if you've got bulbs, the time is to, to cut the tops off before they flower or as they're starting to flower. So you learn some methods of dealing with groups of weeds because somewhere in the world, somebody will have something that's not listed. Yes, exactly. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for, for going deeply into the weeds and, and maybe our listeners will come face to face with their weeds and try and learn a bit more about them or, or call us and I certainly want to. Got. Is mm. the book released now, Kate, or not quite yet? Oh, no, the book's well and truly available. Okay, Working With Weeds. Okay, yeah. I, w- I want it myself. So yeah, there's one on the way to us. This uh, Kate posted it Tuesday, and to we give away to listeners. We will yeah. give that away to listeners. Thank you very yeah. much, Kate. It's been very an enlightening. <laughs> You're welcome, my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. You take care. Appreciate. You too. Okay. okay bye. bye for now. Okay, that was uh, Kate Wall, uh, author of Working with Weeds. I should start again. You're with Rand Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. We're having a chat with John then off air, so our apologies. Now, Margaret from Coolangup wants to give away free some roses, agapanthus and paintbrushes, paintbrush lilies, which need do need to be dug up. That will be the price you pay. Uh, but we do have her number here uh, if you're interested. So that's in Coolangup. So if you'd like some free roses and agapanthus and paintbrush lilies, uh, give Jill a call and we can connect you to Margaret. Uh, Ellen from Bassendine wanted to know whether you have recommendations for a small deciduous tree for a north-facing yard. All right. Can we come back to that one, Ray? I'll, you can. When I have a minute to think, I'll, <laughs> I'll list a few. All right. And Selma from Gosnells is asking, when is the season for buying figs and locust fruits? Well, you can buy them generally all year round. Of course, the figs are a dormant, going dormant now, losing all their leaves. It's pruning mm. time for them. Uh, so whoever has them uh, will be potting them up now, I guess, taking mm. cuttings, maybe springtime. Certainly if you've got a friend, uh, you could get cuttings from friends right about now, mm. unless you're buying established plants. Mm-hmm. And, yep, so. But with those all year round, we can ask uh, Wayne when we speak to him where yeah, to buy. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And... Oh, and Rita of Maidavale has mentioned 1080 isn't for roses, it's a pesticide. So, Yeah. Uh, we will look more into those comments a little bit later, I think. Yeah, We've that, got that would John be on my the... understanding as well, mm. <clears throat> that it's utilised as, as a pesticide uh, for rats and things. We so, will come back to that. But we will that. come back to that one as well. We've got some calls coming in. You f- I feel like you've got something to say. Uh, We've also had an email from Terry and um, the question is, good morning, ladies. I'm heading out this morning, so we'll be unable to listen to your program. I have a tallish pink frangipani in my garden, which needs to be trimmed down by about one third as it flowers above the roof line. When is the best time for this and will it harm my beautiful tree? Well, if you cut it down now, it could be harmful because they are tropical plants. They won't seal well. Their cuts won't heal properly with all this damp weather. The time to do it would be certainly after the weather warms up. Now, on the note of frangipanis, we will be joined by Nellie Tarchek 
in the studio on the 28th of August. Mm -hmm. So about that time will be, you wouldn't be doing anything with your French panties right now, but we'll talk about feeding and cutting back and she'll be able to take your calls on the day. Uh, My answer to yes. Okay, I'm talking to Jill as well. Okay, because we do have Wayne, but I think if we can speak to Wayne after nine o'clock, that will be easier. Okay. Okay. You've got him on the run sheet, running sheet oh, for now. A couple of mistakes I've got to get your there. focus right, girl. Yeah. I know. I've been Your mind is on... elsewhere. Where is it? It's in it's, slime mould. It's in slime. Right? I think so too. You're in slime mould land. And you brought some examples of that in for me. Yes, um, I did. Because when I went outside this morning to have a look uh, at what, what pretties I could bring you in to talk about, it was wet as it was pouring, it was bucketing down and I went, Okay, what have I got on the hard. kitchen bench? <laughs> Show uh, and tell. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's my new little hobby. And because we've had so much rain mm. and I've been enjoying the rain, I've been getting out in my boots with my umbrella between the showers and hunting for fungi. Mm. But when you go down that path and you're down on the ground and you're photographing things, a whole new world opens up, Ray, Mm. the world of slime Mm mould. So if I've got a minute, I'll just give you a little bit of an introduction. Yes. Because it has absolutely taken my focus. I've had some early mornings till one o'clock. I've been photographing them, uh, bringing them up on the computer. It's great weather for editing photos and sorting photos. And these little projects on the kitchen bench are growing on bark and sodden banksia cones. Mm. So this one I I got out there the other day and I was uh, down where a tree, you know I love my dead trees. Yeah. And this one had actually fallen over and right down at the base it was very damp. Now the first stage of a slime mould is what's called plasmodium and it's like a jelly and it creeps up when it's ready to fruit, mm. it creeps up for, for a light and then it develops fruiting bodies. And what is on this banksia cone looks like a little mulberry with its burgundy-coloured gel-filled balls. Mm. And that's about the third stage. So the first two stages we probably don't see. So over a couple of days, that will continue to develop it will swell and it will rise in height and it will dry dry out a bit or appear to dry out. And then what happens, all these little spores will be released. Mm-hmm. And one of the patterns is quite like string, like bundles of string yes, in an ice cream type shape or similar. And then all the spores blow away and you're left with a structure that can really only be viewed very well under a microscope so that's one of my next steps so what is the benefits what is so special about slime mold they eat bacteria so we know that fungi are decomposers and they break down dead and decaying matter but these eat bacteria and they live in the same environment a moist environment where it's dark Mm -hmm. and years ago i think it was 1958 a movie came out called the blob Yes, yes, now, I remember that. Slime molds are the like part of the fourth kingdom. So we have flora, fauna, fungi, and protista, and that's where these guys belong. Mm. So I'm on a journey to learn, and I think we're probably up to around more than ten that we've found on our property, 
and people will find these if they're out looking at fungi. The the common ones are things like the the dog vomit fungus, mm, mm. which takes over a pile of mulch yeah. and it spreads. Mm. And they may see the plasmodium stage, and it looks mm. like the jelly with the the fingers or the fractals that just move out in a tree shape. So it's it's taking food. Mm. Now another use for Tupperware, if you've got lots of old Tupperware in the cupboard, is to take a, a wet banksia cone or a piece of bark, lay down a piece of paper towel in the bottom, wet it with a little bit of distilled water because there's no minerals in it. And I've put in uh, an oat because in time that oat will become food for the slime mould. So I'm hoping that it will crawl across the paper looking forward to it. And I'll be able to bring that in and show you too. (laughs) Fabulous. There's also (laughs) another one that's easy to see and that's the red raspberry slime mould. And that looks like a little raspberry popping out of decaying wood. Okay. There's lots to look at for. Very icicles. Yeah, very icicles. I like the sound of that. All right. 94841927. Back at Shortly. Back again, we'll be going to the news at 9am this morning as well. And Michael of Chewett Hill, we're having a little giggle uh, with you, Michael, uh, says he's amazed by the knowledge of Ray and Faye, more Faye than Ray, Michael, and he wants to know if you're self-taught or if you studied this stuff. All of the above. Mm, it. Oh, do you know what? It started... When I was running a service station <laughs> and I decided that if I was going to work 70 hours a week, it would be in a field of my choice. I had mm. three children at that stage and I started studying horticulture because I loved it. Mm. So I went on and got an, an advanced diploma. I was already in garden clubs. That was my weekly outing when I had young, monthly outing when I had young small children mm. And I just had a thirst for knowledge. And this is what's happened now with the slime mould. I've mm. just, it started with fungi. I've been photographing that for more than 10 years. Photography became another interest and passion. Insects. And and I studied, uh, I joined the, the camera club after standing on the back of a cruise ship photographing this aurora, uh, the the dancing lights and my flash kept going off and my photo was black you know Mm. I just didn't know what I was doing so I went Mm. right I am going to learn that was the catalyst so it's like being on a garden path Michael you just I just get consumed by what fascinates me and I've been very fortunate this last couple of weeks after posting on the fungi page that I was contacted by Karina Knight asking would I collect specimens for the herbarium? And she has just opened a world that is like another rabbit hole. You know, yesterday she showed me how to to view and identify slime moulds through a microscope. So determining these microscopic features. So a couple of weeks ago I borrowed a book, the Ascomycetes, which are fungi on, on dung, and that started because a patch of rabbit poo that I have on our property has three different fungi on it. Growing and on I it. couldn't find the answers. Mm. And so what that book is all about, the illustrations of the structures of the microscopic parts. So hence 
I have I opened the book and I couldn't understand it, but having mm. now seen these slime molds under a, a microscope, I'm now having my world opened and going to another level. So it is um, it is like being on a garden path. You don't know where it's going to go, but you can't stop. And I always remember Claire Palmer. She was on air with us once and she said, the more I know, the more I realise I don't oh, know. I know. And it is like that, isn't I it? I know. I mm. can't even gauge measurements anymore, Ray, mm. because one millimetre doesn't cut it anymore. We're talking about UMs mm. or something like that. It's a smaller scale of measurement. Like... Mm. It's stuff I don't understand yet, mm, but I'm going to take the listeners on the journey with me. Okay. All right. <laughs> now we're going back to Alan with some uh, small tree, uh, deciduous trees, I should say, recommendations for a north-facing yard. We've picked out for you. <laughs> well, we have crepe myrtle. That was yes. the first thing both of us thought. They have amazing, beautiful bark and flowers, uh, white and mauve and burgundy. Pinks and, and all oh, sorts of colours. They're just They're, they're very lovely. hardy. And they originally were quite susceptible to powdery mildew. Mm. However, these days they have developed varieties that are resistant. Mm. Um, Crimson Spires is yeah. one of the slender, small, deciduous trees along the lines of a flowering plum. Flowering plum ornamentals, yeah, very, yes. very nice. Which are burgundy leaves, pink flowers, the bliriana and or the prunus cerecifera nigra. Nigra, uh, yeah. And then you could have edibles. You could have uh, pear, peach, apricot. Uh, we mm. will ask Wayne when we speak to and him. And, of course, some, na some native tree options, some smaller native tree options. Mm, what is there that's deciduous? Oh, we're looking sorry, for deciduous. Sorry, sorry. Mm. Yeah, no, they won't be. Um, yeah, so I so mean, as you say, few. like uh, a, a fruit, a fruit tree would be lovely. And of course, the the bare rooted ones uh, will certainly be in at the moment. They won't mm. be pretty to look at, so right you now. could do mm. your googling online. Mm. Uh, but you know, you go to a nursery and you you have a look at what's available, and then maybe do a bit of homework because you get one chance at this. Mm, that's uh, true. Work out what your finished height is. Check out yeah. the root zone. That's a, a very important factor. So he's saying the five water. to six meters. Yeah. Oh, so, mm -hmm. that's that's a fair scope. And of course, mm. if you want it to block out sunlight, your shape of your tree is important. Whether it it goes wide, canopy, or whether mm. you're looking for something tall, tall and, and narrow. And many of the the fruit trees, or the deciduous trees, you can prune to shape. So you might want something low maintenance or not. And it's a wonderful thing, um, Alan. Head off to some tree nurseries right. and. Uh, I think it's a luxury to go shopping for uh, a, a small tree and uh, you're speaking to experts in these nurseries and have a look around and see what t tickles your fancy is what I say. <laughs> All right, 94841927. We're heading to the 9am news. 10.4 right now, heading for a maximum of 16. There will be showers today and the minimum overnight will be 11 with a maximum of 16 and showers. And for Monday, the minimum overnight will be 7 with a maximum of 17. There will be a shower or two. John just came in and updated our July rainfall uh, to 271.4 mils and it cuts off at 9 o'clock. And uh, the actual all-time July uh, record, if you like, was 278.6 mils, so 7.2 mils of difference. And we feel that's uh, 
Yeah, someone might have measured it wrong, don't we, Faye? Can we take artistic (laughs) licence and just run a little bit longer? (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes if you play with the times, like maybe all those years ago when they started, there wasn't rain that came down in that early morning period. So if we just pushed it out and went from, say, midday or midnight, will that buy us a bit more time? It will buy us more more time if we went to midnight tonight. It's the 31st of July. So if our (laughs) rainfall went through till midnight tonight, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've broken our record. Daylight saving. Can Mm. we take that into account? (laughs) As well. So, no, uh, we certainly have had a great drop. And I have some nice little rain quotes, and I, I might sprinkle a few in as we... We go, go through the next hour. Rain showers my spirit and waters my soul. Do you like that one? I do. I'll tease you with another shortly. And do you like the song that I told you about this week? Yes, and it's been <laughs> it's been stuck in my head. Thank you very much. Well, when there's, we're there's in fungus America. among us, and it's got a real beat to it. And I'm having it burnt on a CD <laughs> uh, at the moment, and we will play it next week. There's fungus among us, but it is yeah, really it goes catchy. Like this, Ray. There's fungus among us. Yeah. Rumble in the jungle. Yeah, it's a rock and roll song. <laughs> it totally is. Totally okay to play on this station, and so hope to have my hands on that, and we'll give that a whirl next week, and uh, we'll be rocking it. Mm. So yeah, can't wait for that. And then it will be one of those songs that you can't get out of your head. I know it's so old, I isn't know, it? I know, fabulous. So I really liked it. So thank you oh, for good. that. Good, mm-hmm. good. Now I thought I should just update our listeners with a little bit of what's on around the place. Yes, please. Um, Coming up, and a date for your diary, of course, is the Kalamunda Garden Festival, which is on the 15th of August, uh, 8 to 12 at the Town Centre. The Nanup Flower and Garden Festival starts on the 14th of August, so that's only two weeks away. You might want to have Put a look at the programme and, yeah. and look at what accommodations mm. available or plan your trip. So a record 20,000 tulips has been planted, so that's oh. going to make a brilliant show and of course this year the garden the gardens are open there's open gardens uh, there's speakers and events and workshops and it runs through until the 5th of September tomorrow the Fern Society meeting is on at the Manning Senior Citizens Centre corner mm-hmm. of Lay and Downey Street that's on at two o'clock Visitors are always welcome and they always have a, a brilliant talk. Should be a popular meeting because last month was cancelled due to COVID lockdown restrictions. Okay. Uh, and next week we are going to be joined in the studio by Dan Dowsett. And the topic oh, of bees is the fact that it, there's been so much rain. The topic of spring dwindle, which... I thought sounds like something that could be clustered with uh, Naked Gardening Day. Spring dwindle. Mm. Okay. Okay, you've got I'm my... I'm just joking. Oh, okay. I never know with <laughs> but you. But it's true. It's oh. spring dwindle is what he's going to... Talk about. Talk about. Oh, mm. well, bated breath. All right. Now, we do have Wayne Pragnall back on air. Wayne is the coordinator of the Southwest WA Rare Fruit Club, and he was project engineer with the Witchcliffe Eco Village, which is also... Uh, a very uh, interesting initiative that I was reading a little bit about yesterday. Wayne, how are you? You're with Ray and Faye. Hi, good morning, Faye. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Good. So where are we talking to you from? Where are you based? I'm in Augusta. Oh, um, lovely. 
And, and, and I heard you mention just briefly uh, the Nanak Flower Festival. So, yes, we met um, a couple of years ago at the Nanak Flower Festival. Yes. And um, it's uh, great to finally um, be on the show with you. Yes, I. you did a great talk. Obviously very passionate about fruit trees and edible gardening. And, and I approached Wayne then and said, I oh, would love to have you on the show. And mm. he contacted me when he was up in Perth this week. And here we are. So, Wayne, tell us about some of your favourite edible tropical fruits yeah look I, I, I think a lot of people are building at the moment and um, renovating gardens things like that so I tried to come up with a good list for, um, of sort of some unusual and, and, and different things you might not have heard of that would um, that would go well in your gardens in Perth well, um, um, we actually just got an inquiry from someone Wayne about they have a north facing yard and they're after a, a deciduous tree up to about six metres and we thought we could certainly throw that one at you with regard to an, a suitable edible fruit tree or something. Oh, I've got one on my list. I reckon if, if you want a smaller fruit tree that's absolutely, um, it's a really gorgeous, nice weeping habitat. Oh, like it um, already. Beautiful um, orange fruit that sort of um, light up the yard all through um, winter. Um, I think a persimmon. Yes, yes. Oh, um, that sounds divine. One of the advantages of the persimmon, it's like fruiting in winter, which is when the... Um, uh, fruit fly are dormant, so um, happy days. I, yes, I, I think you'd have a lot less problems with um, fruit fly in Perth. Certainly, I don't get the fruit fly down here, so I'm not um, a full mm. expert. But um, yeah, some some of the other ones on my list are also sort of winter fruiting, so um, you minimise your, your, your fruit fly risk. Um, and also, the early fruiting ones are really good too, because um, before the the fruit fly really sort of pick up and get going. Yeah, um, good yeah. point. And what a, what about your other favourites? Uh, look, probably one that I just have to say is my most favourite fruit, and I think it's a beautiful tree for um, for, for gardens, is um, cherimoya. Um, and cherimoya is a custard apple. There's, there's oh. a couple of different cut types of custard apple around. Um, people probably think they're tropical, and a lot of the commercial um, plantations are up north, and they're more atomoyas. Mm, mm. But the cherimoyas um, grow a, a lot better in the temperate areas. Uh, they do lose their leaves towards the end of um, winter, so I guess we could put that on the list of... Um, deciduous but they don't have a long deciduous period like our um uh our, our temperate deciduous um fruit trees but they just have the most um just a, a beautiful graceful habitat um add a beautiful tropical lush feel to your garden and um just a lovely um fruit um we give away a lot of fruit but we don't give away too many uh cherimoya because um uh, the kids just won't let us um give them away <laughs> yeah yeah no that it sounds gorgeous um if you want a, a slightly bigger one, but also it's a little bit like the custard apple, um, but it's um, probably um, a lot more productive and, and, and a lot tougher tree is a white sapote or a casamaroa. There's a, um, a fantastic um, uh, Aztec Valley down at Metricup, which is between Margaret River and Bustleton. They've got a, um, a white sapote orchard and the fruit is just um, deluxe, but it's very hard and... and to um, get the fruit in a shop. Uh, and same, same with cherimoyas. They're really hard to transport because they soften up fairly quickly. And um, yeah. when they're soft, they damage and bruise really easy. So, so there's something that um, you rarely see. You won't see it in a supermarket and, and you rarely see it in the, or in, in the specialist um, fruit. I, I think they, like the, the, the white sapote, for instance, it's like it ripens up in four days. So by the time if they're shipping them from, from the East Coast, um, they're virtually uh, too soft before they've made it to you. So... So it's great that we've got Aztec Valley um, making them available for our market, but it's a great tree to plant. Um, and, and what does and, the fruit taste like, Wayne? 
Oh, it's kind of like it's like a caramelly custardy, um, just like a, a dreamy <laughs> tropical custard, and they do oh, vary a fair goodness. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and another thing that's like beautiful about them is um, they're known for making you relaxed and a bit sleepy, and you can have a tea from the leaves or and even the fruit. Um, I, I notice that when I sort of have it, you just sort of feel relaxed when you ha- have the fruit. Oh my goodness! Well, after Sold. you've, you've- uh, chosen your plant, you've planted it in the ground, you've nurtured it for years, you've pruned it, you've harvested, you, you're des- deserving to sit yeah, back yeah, and well, have a break. That's, that's that's the other thing. They they do grow really quickly and, and you could potentially have fruit. If you get a grafted one, you'll have fruit after two or three years. Mm. Um, but you do need to, um, some of them are... Um, do need cross-pollination, um, but there are one or two varieties um, that will fruit without cross-pollination. So just that's something to be aware of if you're, if you're looking for one um, in, in the nursery. Um, and, and just on that, you know, when you're looking for, for plants, um, it's um, varieties are really important. I think, I think we sort of um, just sort of, you know, apples are one where we do know all the varieties. You know, it's a, a Granny Smith and a Red Delicious are completely different in maybe what you use them for in terms of cooking, in terms yeah. of being fresh. And there's a lot of those those same things with um, other types of fruit. It's just that it's not really so well known, and they don't promote it through the supermarket. So you're not you haven't heard of those different varieties. Uh, but it's worth asking your your nursery about those varieties and, and and getting good variety that's going to suit your location. Well, that's a very important point about your your varieties and knowing what they are because we often get quizzed with uh, when is this going to fruit or what what is yes, this I, plant I, I heard a question earlier about the figs and um, mm. so that's a good example um, and so the Adam varieties have a breber crop um, which is uh, they come out before the um, the leaves in, in, in spring um, and so from our um, Adam type varieties we get um, fruit for Christmas um, and then our later fruiting ones like the white um, white genoa that's still fruiting right um, in, in sort of June July so you've mm. got um, if you get a good variety of figs you can have figs right the way through all, um, year round, nearly. Through, mm. all, all the way from basically from Christmas through to winter yeah yeah mm. um, yeah but I, 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 the next one on my list was um, a chatoot so a chatoot is um, it's a moraceae so it's uh, in the mulberry family um, and the, it's like a really really long mulberry and it's got um, a sweet sort of um, almost um, uh, just like a nice strong berry flavour um, and it's a really small deciduous tree, a really graceful nice tree and um, just super productive with these um, really long mulberries. Mm. Now, are they white or they can be white? Well, you can get a red chatoot and a white chatoot actually. Right. Um, and the white one is um, really sweet, like almost having a, um, a honey fruit. Um, it's like e- eating long caterpillars that taste like honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And, and, the, and the red one is um, probably got a, a few more sort of currency sort of flavours and um, not quite as sweet, but still um, a lot sweeter than what I find the, 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 the common sort of Hicks mulberries in, in, in Perth. Mm. So, oh, uh, who would have thought? Little, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we've already mentioned persimmon. That was sort of next on my list. Um, persimmon's interesting. That's in the Ebenacy family, so related to ebony. So it's got really hard wood, quite slow growing. Uh, just an uh, interesting fact. Mm. Um, then I had jaboticaba. So um, jaboticaba is a um, 
uh, it's in, in, in a Mertesi family, which is the same family as eucalyptus, but this is just a, a, like a very small, delicate, graceful shrub from um, from Brazil. Um, there's quite a few different types of jaboticas. We mainly get a, um, a black jaboticas, and it's really interesting in that the fruit actually form on the trunk. Um, oh, that, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, and, and they're like a little grape-tasting thing, and they've got a slightly um, tougher skin than a grape and slightly richer flavours, um, but um, like I love them just because they're such a beautiful landscaping plant, but the, um, the, the delicious fruit is a real bonus. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I put on canistel. Canistel's interesting. It's um, part of Poteria family, and that's like a really big fruiting fruiting family. It's got a lot of ones. Um, sometimes it's called a yellow sapote, and also in the same family, you've got things like the mani sapote and the green sapote, and they're all delicious tropical fruits. Um, the canistel, I think even lasuma is, is a puteria and that's um, like a, a bit of an up and coming superfood. Oh my goodness, uh, you, you're just bamboozling yeah. us, yeah. <laughs> Wayne. But, um, yes. I, I was just going to say, because I think this is sort of getting a bit um, over, a bit, a bit, a bit too, too in depth. I just wonder where okay. people can find more information. Well, probably one of your best places, and I guess the question is also where to find them. Exactly, um, that was my question. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the best places to go to is Joe at Taz One. Um, oh, yes, it's not, yes. It's not the right time of the year for a lot of these. Um, he, 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 probably he, a lot of them he won't have in stock at the moment, um, but he will um, sort of when spring comes around, you will get more of them around. And there's also quite a few of your um, smaller... Um, nurseries that um, sometimes they go around to, um, you know, your farmer's markets and um, I, I think um, some of the, the smaller sort of gum tree type um, backyard nurseries uh, are producing some of these. So you, you can get them, but yeah, it, it's, um, you won't see them at your normal big um, yep. big box nurseries. Yep, and of course, there's lots of great information on the website of the Rare Fruit Club. Yes, yes. Yeah, about growing them and things like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how we're going for time. Can we? Well, uh, I just wanted to touch on very briefly uh, your or what you've been involved in with the Witchcliff Eco Village. I had a little read of that yesterday uh, on the internet, and that sounds yep. and looks amazing. Can you just touch yep. on that very briefly for us? Yeah, I, I think sort of for a gardening show for people interested in gardening, I think it's the ultimate place yeah. to live because um, it's it's like um, living in a. Um, um, uh, a development that's sort of built around a garden and everybody's mm. got um, all the houses are built around community gardens. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, everybody's got their own um, veggie patch and um, there's orchards in the community gardens that everybody um, will own and sort of maintain together. Mm. Um, but it's quite unique in that it's we've sort of set out to to build the most sustainable development in Australia and um and, and, and possibly even the world, you know, in, a, in terms of a modern type development. So and, what uh, sort of size is it? Like how many homes or people might live there? There's about um, a thousand people. Ultimately, when uh, it's it's finished, there's um, um, about three to four hundred lots. Wow. And mm. they, they, there's a whole range of sizes from um, small affordable lots at um, up to a thousand square meter family lots, mm. um, and, and it's not just the land on your lot. You're also um, you're surrounded by community gardens, and um, you also own part of those. So there's um, a, a lot more space for gardening. We, we put um, edible street trees right through the development. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and, and I think we should sort of see a lot more of that, you know, particularly um, some of your larger nut trees. And um, it, it's hard with the smaller lots these days to find space to put your big, um, big fruit and nut trees on your lot. So it's, I think it's great to be able to put them on your on your verges. Sounds like heaven to me. And I, and, and that segues us nicely into the fact that you, your idea is that uh, our verge trees should actually be fruit trees. Love the idea. Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely no reason. Um, I've seen some really good um, in Perth. Um, I think it was around Cannington somewhere. There's a, a median where there was a whole lot of macadamias planted and they were going really well. They're a really tough tree, wind tough, um, don't mind a bit of the heat. So I think they're an absolute um, brilliant one for, for verges. Um, you know, if you've got the right sort of soil and plenty of water, I mean, and, and, and people committed to, to growing them, I think um, avocados are a beautiful lush tree. Sometimes they're a bit da- big for a mm. backyard. So why not put them on your verge? <laughs> yeah, mm, is, it's, it is a great idea. In consideration um, of some of the trees that are on verges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, some and, are quite menacing, yeah. And how about citrus? You know, they make such a beautiful display with all of the, um, like the the yellow and the orange with the lemons and the fruit hanging on the tree. Um, mm. If you have an avenue of, um, of citrus trees, um, uh, they're, they're just fantastic. And they're quite, once they're established, they're really easy to maintain. Um, so, yeah. Well, Wayne, you've opened our eyes to a, a range of different fruit trees that we haven't heard of and before. I think, and I think that not only are they edible, they sound like they look wonderful as well. And for me, that's yeah, important. Yeah. It's got to look good. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, and then it's a bonus that you can eat it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah. Thank right, you very you. much. We Have won't keep you any longer. Okay. No worries. Thanks, Faye. Enjoy right. your day. Bye. Take care. Right. Thanks, Thanks Wayne. Wayne. Cheers. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Curtain Thank you for your company this morning. You are tuned into Let's Talk Gardening straight out to the lines. We're in Canberra. <laughs> Paul, good morning, and thank you for waiting. Hello, how are you, ladies? Hi, good, thanks, Paul. Are you really ringing us from Canberra? I am indeed. Yes. Oh cold wow. Canberra. Oh, so, how cold is it, Paul? Um, I think it's about six degrees at the moment. So. Mm. Um, but like yesterday, walking to work, it was three point minus three point nine. Oh, okay. Was it snowing? Very, very brisk. Um, no, not snowing, but it was sleeting. Yeah, oh, gosh. For sure. Mm. Well, we should think ourselves lucky, Ray. <laughs> we do. Mm. Well, How mind do... you, the amount of the amount of rain you guys have had over there. Yeah, so no. Far, yeah, we're yeah. drowning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. but good, good, good. Uh, hopefully, you'll have a great spring. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. So how can we help you today, Paul? Yeah, um, my I'm a new gardener. Um, I'm I'm an IT guy, so I've never really done gardening before. And last year I tried to plant some herbs, um, things like um, basil and all that sort of stuff, and nothing grew. Mm. And I'm just, uh, this spring I want to try again, but I want to know any tips or tricks possibly that you can give me. Okay, well, well, I think one of the things is growing in the right season. A lot of our herbs are annuals and certainly basil is a, a spring-summer herb. So yep. if if people have got basil plants and they're looking not too good now, they do die down in the winter. So mm. having said that, if you let them flower, you can save seeds and grow them again and you can yep. start them about now because spring's only a month away so what that tells us is the weather is likely to warm up so you could get your seeds started in a little hot house and you can create them quite cheaply or 
by commercial ones. You could also have a, a, an area outside under glass that maintains a bit more humidity and warmer temperatures because Canberra probably is quite a bit colder than here, even in springtime. Um, uh, definitely, yes. So coriander yes. is a great one to start with in the cooler weather. And that is one that often will bolt to flower and seed in the summer months. Having said that, it's also a fantastic plant to have in the garden to bring in pollinators and some of your native bees. Okay, yeah. Um, so I live in like an apartment complex, so I'm, oh. I'm trying to grow these in like pots. On a balcony or something? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I say last year um, I planted the seeds in spring and I didn't get anything. Nothing Are they grew. getting sunlight? Um, they get quite a lot of sunlight during the day. Um, and I say I've been watering them every second day and that. So I wonder maybe I'm overwatering. Well, the way to tell, you can put your finger in and push it down into the soil. I would recommend a good quality potting mix. So that's one that's uh, designed for the Australian standards and it's got all the ticks. That will have good drainage and it will have some slow release fertilizer in there. So that's that's point number one. You might buy uh, a punnet, put it into a little bit bigger pot with good quality potting mix. How much you water it depends a little bit on the herb itself. Uh, plants like mint, for example, will tolerate more water and in fact they will even grow in water so that's an easy one for summer to have it growing in water like a water yep. plant mm -hmm. it won't mind its roots being wet and uh, what else have we got parsley that that'll be another good one you can also get meters that you can put in and that will tell you mm. when your plant needs water okay yeah, because the main ones I'm, and I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm singing the song, but the look ones I'm looking at are parsley, um, sage, rosemary, thyme. <laughs> sort of we love it, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So they they do sound like ones that will tolerate drier um, weather. If they're not getting enough sunlight, then maybe a grow light to help them along. And and if you start doing that, then you know typically you could grow them all year round, mm. not just in the, the warmer months. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good tip, actually. Thank you. Mm. Um, so one last question. I'll let you ladies move on to the next person. Um, is it better to grow them outside rather than inside? Well, it comes back to the light, of course. So you, you could grow a fantastic crop indoors with the right lighting, and the right conditions. In fact, you could even go the hydroponic route where you're growing in water and you could have quite a sophisticated indoor setup. So, okay, yep. Mm, it's, yeah, yes, so many choices. Yes. I, I find yeah, a lot of these questions are not right or wrong, it's how you choose to Options. do it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, obviously the option I chose last year didn't work, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to do that. So, but, um, but, I want to try something new this year. So, Alright, yeah. well, Paul, but if you, if you understand that you need to grow the right annual herbs at the right time, that is a, a key factor. Magic. Thank you so much, ladies, and I love the work you do. And I um, say, so even over here in Canberra, I listen to you guys every day. Um, not you, obviously, but the radio station. Um, and, yeah, keep up the great work. 
Thank you very Thanks, much, Paul. Paul. Take care. All right. Stay Cheers. warm. <laughs> Bye. Cheers for that. Bye. Yes, Curtin does attract uh, listeners from all around the world. It's amazing. Yeah, that find the station and uh, love us and stay with us. Well, they play great music, don't they, Ray? They do. Love people, the music. People like that about mm. us. Yes, we get told that all of the time. Now, I was at the East Fremantle Footy Club last night. Again, uh, again, yes. And, of your, one of your haunts. Yes, and Noel came up to me and asked about a what is a particular plant, and he had a, a very big leaf, umbrella tree, of, which, of course, there are. Well, it's in a pot, oh, okay. so would it be best indoors or outdoors? And um, they do. They can come indoors for a while, but a lot of plants like outdoor conditions. They like the airflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Plants like the umbrella plant are, are tolerant, although having said that, mine out in the open has sulked and it's dropped a lot of its leaves, but they'll come back again. And um, next week is, or next month is Elvis month. And next Friday night, they have an Elvis tribute band. Or not a band, but Michael Barbaro will be playing the hits from around five o'clock. That sounds amazing. There I, I, <laughs> just combining all my thank, hobbies thank, together. Thank you, Faye. Okay, <laughs> now we do have free lines, 94841927. You can email your questions to us to answer on air today as well, and that address is gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And we also have a podcast of The Garden Show uh, that we post on our website each week. Uh, you simply go to curtainfm.com.au and follow the prompts under programs on the home page and that will take you to uh, all of our podcasts of which there are many now and you can go back and listen to certain uh, segments uh, on the show that may have been of interest to you that you may have been in a situation where you couldn't hear at all or you're driving and you want to reflect back on that and uh, it's it's very useful lots of information there there sure is right now last week we spoke to joe about bakashi did you end up going to I went to her workshop in the afternoon about composting and it was fantastic. And it was everything from worm farms to compost bins, dealing with your dog poo Mm. and bakashi. And so this week I have started on my bakashi journey. Did you buy a bakashi? I did. I bought the two bucket system and every day I've been putting my food scraps in. So um, enjoying that. And well, I want to get one myself. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah it, it's just quite incredible and all the uses for it. One of the things that Joe said the previous time she'd come on the show is if there is one change that we make, it is to stop food waste going in the green bin because we can reduce greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And the Bakashi system will take a lot of the food scraps mm-hmm. in your kitchen. So first, first of all, when you're sorting your waste, Ideally, I think if you've got chickens, then the first lot of scraps suitable for them would go to the chickens. Of course. Um, but the bakashi is quite a big bucket and so it will take a lot of everything else, uh, including meat, fish, dairy. Amazing. Bones. Yeah. Where so, have you got it set up? I have a bin cupboard under the sink. Okay. And um, rather than put the lid on and off multiple times a day, I have a little bucket. And I put all my food scraps in there. So the tea bags will go in there. When I'm preparing the veggies for dinner, I will create quite a bit more waste. And then nighttime before I go to bed, off comes the lid, 
in goes the scraps, mash it all down okay. with a masher. And so that way you're getting the air out of it and then you sprinkle the bran um, that's Is it laborious? Is it laborious? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. It's very simple. It's very clean and it's out of the way. So it's about putting systems in place. And I must admit, I'm basing my waste a bit more. I've photographed the bin when we put it out last week as uh, a way to draw a line in the sand and start now and understand mm. all those plastics. So now I'm uh, saving all the lids and, and looking at what can be separated and, and where it will go. And then when I work out how much size or how much of a container I need um, and where things are going to go, I'll get more of a system about that can go there. It might be delivered to a certain place or... Mm. Polystyrene, for one thing, isn't something that's good in the the rubbish bins. No, um, not at and all. And that can go to a particular place. So, mm. yeah, finding out and making it all second nature, mm-hmm. first nature. Well, we I, I remember Joe mentioning uh, claws as one of the places in mm. Welshpool, but they're more interested in plastics. But I know Joe mentioned that they took in uh, big things like empty. TV boxes and things. Mm. So we rang them and they said it's not our preferred waste, but yes, we'll do it. Went out, hired a trailer. We got <gasps> this a mighty great box from a TV. Went there and they refused to take it. Oh, I know. So back we came. It turned we turned it into confetti anyway. So oh. we'll have to package it away each week into the yellow lid. I know. I know. <laughs> well, so talk about a runaround. Um. So let me, but even let me, when we rang, we rang and they said, yes, we'll we'll take it. We don't prefer it. When we got there, they said, no, we won't. That's not a Got good a news story. Not right? a good news story. Just a waste of money. But hey, we tried. Well, I know a lady called Kerry who who used to come and she would come and pick up my polystyrene boxes and deliver really? them to a recycling place. Yeah, so I will careful. double check with her. Yeah, be careful. Mm. All right, let's go and talk about lemons. Tracy, good morning. Hi, how are you going, ladies? Good, good thanks, well. Tracy. Thank you. It's it's really nice to listen to your show. I've got a bit of a problem. Um, people might not consider it a problem, but I do. My lemon tree is just doing nothing but fruiting. Is there any way I can stop it from fruiting? Prune it. <laughs> well, I've tried pruning it, but what's happened is as I've pruned it, it's grown back and <laughs> I've got more, even more lemons. And oh, you can only gosh. Give so many of them away. Yes. No, I don't I don't think so. I think you can give as many away as you need. There will always be people that want lemons. And if you frequent a place on a regular basis, like, you know, I come into Curtin every Saturday, so if I had an excess of fruit, I can bring them in here to share. It does well, mean you I have give, to pick them. No, well, I give them to the chemist. I, mm. I leave them outside saying free. I've given like 20 huge shopping bags away. Because everyone has mm. lemons at this time of the year, don't they, Tracy? Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> even in summer, it's it's like, uh, and you can only freeze so many. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I go around to places with, in my car with bags of lemon and saying, you know, I've even been down to the local fish and chip shop and they start, no, it's all right, we prefer to buy. And it's like, well, <sighs> you get in them for nothing. It's, it's mm. not like they're not any good well, or whatever. I, I think the only problem is you just haven't found the partner that you need. I'm sure okay. there will be someone out there. So you're in Stoneville. Uh, yeah. There'd be someone who would preserve lemons or dry lemons or make cordial or a school or there'll be someone somewhere that wants okay. your lemons. All right. Well, I'll start looking a bit further um, 
sort of around because, um, yeah, I've just got too many. And it's actually, you know how, how you can always tell your branches are over for because they start to droop? Mm. Well, this is what's happening. And I've sort of gone in, trimmed it all back and cut it really short down to like just the sticks and um, it's just grown back and the fruit's just gone crazy. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> That's and a terrible like, problem. Yeah, you know, and the birds love them because they come and pick them off and, um, you know, it, it, it just seems a shame because they're, they're perfectly good lemons. Right. Our, our producer oh. just typed up that you can make lots of margaritas. Oh, I don't <laughs> like, like the way that girl thinks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all tongue-in-cheek, Tracy, yeah. That's all right. I just thought maybe you had a secret, you know, that I could possibly use because, like I say, I'm just giving bags and bags of them away and, mm. and people are saying, oh, we don't need any more at the mm. moment. Yeah. You know? Um, be, there will be someone who'd be happy to take your lemon. Someone will use a lot. Don't know yeah. who it will be, but or maybe even if you pick them and take them to a service station where there's lots of traffic. I suppose I could always try that, yeah. I mean, I've even sort of asked the local fruit shop. I said, I don't want any payment for them, you know, if you're happy to give them away. But I suppose that's taking payment away from them if people want lemons. But there again, it could increase their profit because people think, well, I've gone there, I've got free lemons, so they're worth spending with. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, people. some people don't think that way. But that's all right, ladies. Thank you for your help. You're welcome. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for the call, Tracy. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye for now. And we're heading to Gosnell's talking about persimmon seeds. Linda, hello. Yes, a friend of mine uh, rang me and asked me what you know what to do with the persimmon seeds and uh, how to plant them, what to plant them in, and so on. And I, I gave a bit of advice. I mean, I've planted them and I've got seedlings come up, but I don't know when I've planted them and and what I did. <laughs> right. So. Uh... Uh... I thought maybe you might have a clue as to... Because I know they're they're a tropical fruit, aren't they? They are. Now, I would handball this one to John to look it up because I haven't grown persimmons at all. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not too sure. I'd be guessing the warmer months. Uh, but like I was talking to the gentleman from Canberra, um, you can create a little hothouse... Mm-hmm. A, a mini ecosystem, so you can like use you a, a like an old Coke bottle or something, and put in or some put a plastic bag over the top. Yes, or something, something like that, and put it on top of a fridge. Sometimes, okay, you know the the back top of a fridge well, is a warmer warm. environment. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll see. And you know, with the the lemons. I remember a friend had uh, a load of them and Cotties took them. Oh, wow. Cotties don't exist anymore, do they? I don't think they do. No. They used to take, you know, a load. How amazing is that? Those were the Mm. days, Linda. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I'll hear what John has to say, huh? Mm. Yes, all right. Yes, John, if you're out there listening, please, how do we grow persimmon from seeds? Yeah. I just love persimmons. Oh. Just love them. <laughs> mm, and they are so pretty. So hanging on the tree yeah. when all the leaves have got and the oh, beautiful yeah. autumn coloured leaves. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah and, and I just adore custard apples. When I was living in Carnarvon, um, <clears throat> uh, a, a friend who had an orchard or um, a plantation gave us some. Well, my husband at the time said, didn't, didn't want them, the kids didn't want them. So me, I ate them. Ah, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Lucky, Thanks, very Linda. Very lucky. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you very okay. much, and I'll look forward to hearing. Thanks, okay. Linda. Bye. Cheers for Thank that. Thank you. Bye. And Freda Palmara suggests to the lady with the lemons that she could try pubs and clubs as another way to move her lemons on. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. Don't worry, we are actually here. We certainly uh, get carried away on our little breaks. Lots to cover off and, uh, yes, we're back. There's a, lot, there's a lot going on and what happens, there people probably don't realise when the emails come in later in the show, John yeah. can only bring them in on a break and if there's anything that we have to discuss, we've got like a two-and-a-half-minute window to get our head around everything that's happened in that Previous 40 minutes and emails and reference materials that come in. And we got an email actually from Linda G. Now, she is a previous Bigotry Voucher winner and she has written in to say, you know, thank you. Uh, She loves the garden show and uh, she's just getting over an operation and then had a broken foot. So it was finally able to go out to Bigger Trees with her voucher and she said it's very well stocked and displayed. Friendly staff, extremely helpful. Thank you for for all of that, Linda. And she said, after much deliberation, I chose strawberry plants. You can never have too many. Uh, Octosis, plum coloured, as more ground covers uh, out the front. And baby tears in a hanging basket, which looks gorgeous. I love baby tears. And the hardened bergia in a hanging basket, the most beautiful display. And she sent the photo in of that and it'll be planted against a privacy wall out the front so she she stretched her voucher out very nicely and thanks for reporting back Uh, we love to we love to hear that and speaking of giveaways we were chatting earlier today with kate wall now she is a consulting gardener and environmental scientist based in brisbane and she is also author of working with weeds we have one of these books to give away to a lucky listener and you must be able to collect it from the station not to have won a prize in the last 28 days and be a curtain fm member if you would like to win this book we will take the first call through because that's the way we need to roll on the garden show give jill a call on 94841927 you must be able to collect it from the station and uh, be a, be a curtain fm member and not to win a prize in the last 28 days if you'd like this book i know i'd like it so <laughs> Give, uh, give Jill a call. Just see how quick those little fingers can go and uh, the book is yours. Carry Excellent, on. Ray. Now, uh, just to let everyone know that the latest edition, the spring edition of Our Garden magazines are out now. And this is a, a book that's produced. Um, Judy Horton is the editor and it's part of Garden Clubs of Australia. Now, this is an affiliation of all the garden clubs around Australia. They produce mm. a magazine quarterly and the front cover is of a blue-banded bee coming in to pollinate a lantana. That you just happened to take. I did, I did. And the article, I haven't written the article, but it is all about Pollinator Week, which is coming up in November, not for a while now, but um, the magazine is out now and available through our gardens website. There's also a Facebook group for Garden Clubs of Australia and the Perth Garden Clubs one that we belong to and they meet monthly on the third Sunday at mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in different gardens around Perth. Yeah, which is lovely. Mm. Yeah. So lots of garden clubs out there and specialist societies. It is a great way 
to meet other gardeners and mix yeah mix with like-minded people and, and learn more it's a great yeah it's a great social opportunity but also learning opportunity and what a nice idea when you actually have a meeting in someone's garden mm. and the bonus is to be able to go through the garden and get inspired I, i've always felt that one of my greatest learning journeys has come through the garden club because right. we would meet in different gardens so it would be a succulent garden and, and yeah. you would get to see how it was all laid out and then the owner would speak about how they created it and you would get tips and you'd go home inspired to do something with your succulents mm. or one that really stands out was planted in white pots around a pool and that was quite amazing because a big body of water like a swimming pool creates a microclimate. Mm. It's, it's much warmer like it is living near a coast. So you could actually grow beautiful plants right next to a swimming pool, mm. even in, in cooler weather. But yeah. that one particularly was a very clean-looking garden and the pots of colour had petunias spilling over the edge and pansies and just a riot of colour. You you can't not go home and, and want to bump up your own garden. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Exactly, and that's that's easy. I find that it's quite corruptive. <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah. Well, we I, we feed each other. We do. We inspire each other. I know exactly, and mm. we do feed off each other. And uh, my obsessions just continue to escalate. Same, we, same. We have a winner, Bill of Samson, for our book giveaway this morning, which is Working with Weeds. So, Bill, we will be in touch when the book is available, and. Uh, Hopefully you can come into the station or get someone to come into the station and collect that for you. It, Another, it's on its way. It yeah. hasn't arrived yet. Yes. So, so once we have it in our hot yeah. little hands, and we will give you a call, Bill, and uh, come in and collect that book as well. So one of my other gardenisms about rain, I like people who smile when it's raining. Well, there's lots of reasons to smile when it's raining. I think so too. And some people feel the rain. Others just get wet. <laughs> That's a bit more DNA. I, isn't I it? love listening to all the songs about rain when it's raining. Like I love a rainy night. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has been wonderful. Okay, ten minutes remaining of the show. If you do have a question, now's your opportunity. You're with Ray and Faye straight out to the lines. We are in Oakford. Good morning, Cheryl. How's it going? Yes, very well, thank you. Loving the rain. Yeah, yeah, aren't we all? Yeah, wonderful. Um, I'm about to build a, um, or wreck, however you call it, a, a greenhouse. Yes. Um, and I'm a little confused with the shade cloth. Um, I've been told that the white is, is the best, but it's the percentage that I'm worried about. I have quite a variety of plants. I'm going anything from succulents to ferns. Um, is it 50%, 70%? What is actually the best? Right. Uh, succulents, are you putting them in there rather than outdoors? Um, I go away for extended periods um, during winter usually um, and I sort of figured that they'd be better off in there than outside while I'm not here to, to watch them. Mm. Mm, it's... Interesting. I well, my succulents are all outdoors in full weather, and I check on them regularly. They're faring quite well considering the frost that we've had in our area. 
as as well as the the amount of rain. rain and of yeah. course that comes back yeah. to the drainage, drainage in the potting mix sure. and they're in terracotta pots. Mm. So right. I don't feel that you need to put your succulents in the greenhouse. Right. So, so then we get to just general Mm. Um, bits and pieces, yeah. Yes, and oh, what have I got? I'm not sure of the percentage of mine um, and I've got a little bit of tree cover as well. This is something that is probably going to take me a little bit of research for specifics on Cheryl. Right. To, yeah. you know... 30 to 50% is about about rule of thumb. Right. right. So, yeah. And so it will be in full sun. This this will be out. It won't have um, yep. any tree cover uh, at all. Yeah. I would like to follow up on this to be because 100% you know certain. you you've got things like orchids, you've got ferns, ferns yeah. uh, you've got your general gingers, and mm. yes. And yeah. what I'll do, I'll go through and I'll have a look at all the things that need to go into my shade house, both summer and winter, because it's a, a great place to put things out of the way for their protection. Mm. Um, the amount of light that certain plants need to flower is very important. And varies. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that'd so, be wonderful. If you could look into yeah, that, I listen sure. in. So and I, I, will, I will speak to John B because he's just built... A, a house, a greenhouse, oh. <laughs> which has an annex. Mm. Uh, because and the annex, I'm pretty sure, was for some of the succulents or more exotic okay. plants. So, mm. yeah, okay. I'll, I'll get some reasoning behind it because it is a big topic and it's important to do it right from the get go. Yes, that's what I'm worried about. Right. Is, is sort of getting it all up there and then doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. We'll get Wonderful. back with that yeah. hopefully next week, Cheryl. Thank you. Loving the show. Thank Thanks, you. Cheers. Bye now. And let's go to Parmelia. We're chatting with Margaret about her Strelitzia. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Ray and Faye. How are you? Very, Very well. good. Thanks, Thank Margaret. Um, I've got a problem with my Strelitzia. The e when the flowers come out, and e well, even as the main thing, you know, where they come from, uh, they're all... They've all got like brown blotches all over them yes um they're really they look terrible yes and do you know mine are the same uh i oh, do okay. think it's about the the amount of Too rain that we've had yes uh, i don't yes. think we can yes. do much about it but i will follow that up because i am curious as to whether we can do anything we can't yes we can't change the weather we mm. they're at such a a big plant and they need an open space, but I think it is about the rain. But I will look into that, Margaret. Yeah, thanks, Ray. I, I actually, I, I pulled a head off, and I thought, you know what? I think it's waterlogged, and that was my thoughts. And I thought, no, I'm going to find out because they look so terrible. Uh, yes, I know because I wanted to bring some into Ray, and it's very hard to find a nice bloom that's perfect. Actually, I've, got two, I've got two blooms that are good, so maybe it's it. Well, we we may be on on the right path you know waterlogged mm. like we all are <laughs> yes it's good for fungi oh yes <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much ray anyway for uh, for that at least i don't know i don't have to chop it out no no right. it'll it'll come good lovely thank you very much you you both have a lovely weekend won't you thank you, you too thanks Margaret. okay thank you Cheers. Bye. Bye. bye 
And Carol phoned in from Subi wanting to know about whether persimmons need a second tree for cross-pollination. <laughs> They're all coming thick and fast. John, help. <laughs> uh, this is Wayne Pragnall's fault. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, did he say he may not have mentioned that they they need a partner? He did on an on another, when he was talking about another plant, say they only needed one. But we all know that if you've got two plants, mm. you do get a better strike rate for mm-hmm. pollination and fruit. You set. need male and female flowers for the persimmon to fruit. On the same, do they do that on the same plant? Some do, some do. Yeah, okay. I'm just so a little will, bit of a squeeze. And this as we're is talking. this comes back to look at what you're buying. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I'll check that. But for Linda of Gosnells, John has come in with the information on growing persimmons from seed. Now you might have to re-listen to this podcast, Linda, because it's it's a ripper. Remove the seeds and soak them in warm water for three days. Once they've soaked, rinse them under running water to completely remove any flesh. Once you've cleaned and soaked the seeds, they need a period of cold stratification. So you wrap your seeds in a moistened paper towel and place in a glass jar stored in your refrigerator. Mark on the calendar three months down the track, spritzing the paper towel when it begins to dry out. After that process is complete, plant one seed in a tall plastic container with drainage holes. The container needs to be tall because persimmon trees develop their tap roots early. You should see seedlings develop in six to eight weeks. Plant in ground after a full growing season. So good luck with that one, Linda. Okay, and just one more call. We're in Nolamara. Charlie, good morning. Uh, hi, good morning. Uh, just have a quick question. I've got some daffodil and iris. Uh, just wondering when shall I fertilize them before the flower buds come up? Uh, you could, uh, so they impots are in the ground? Uh, it was in the ground last year and then this year I put it into the pot and now the, the leaves are coming up quite yep. tall. So just wonder when shall I fertilise them? Okay. Uh, slow release fertiliser, um, usually in the potting mix, if not mm-hmm. around the top of the pot and yep. you could start fertilising now with the liquid. Oh, with the liquid, not, not the pellets, uh, slow release one. They go into the pot, but for extra boost, liquid feeding will give you a better result as okay. well. Uh, last year, I had a lot of leaves, but just a few buds of flowers, not many flowers. So I'm just wondering whether it was a wrong time to... Well, put the they need to be well fertilised or have access to nutrition when the leaves are dying down because that feeds the bulb for next I, year's flowers. They I, also need to be in full sun. Oh, yeah, yeah, full sun. Yeah, I've got morning till afternoon sun. All right, okay. okay. Yep. So I'll start doing it now. All right, thank you. Thanks, You're Charlie. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. I've spotted daffodils up in my travels already. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Look, we have to fly. Thanks, everyone, for your company this morning. Jill and John, of course. My final gardenism for the morning about rain, I won't do it again to you next week, is there are many things I do for amusement. Oh, yes, there are. But for happiness, I like to gather up all my memories and go for a walk in the rain. Lovely. Lovely indeed. Okay, Jim Crinan is next with the classic 60s. We'll be back next Saturday. Look after yourselves, everyone. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.